Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number 160 of the Bible Reading Podcast. Today's big Bible question, what does it mean to circumcise your heart and how can it be done? Hello, friends. Happy Saturday to you. Today, I have absolutely nothing interesting to share in the opener, so I guess let's just run, jump right into business. No weather talk, no philosophy jokes, uh, nothing. Well, today's Bible readings include Deuteronomy chapter 10, which is our focus passage, as well as Psalms 94, Isaiah 38, and Revelation chapter 8. Now, the reason we aren't doing Revelation as our focus today is because we are entering into a few chapters of the book where, if I can be frank, I don't really understand what is going on fully. Now, there's a lot of explanations. There's a lot of theories and possibilities. I'm just not confident enough in any of them at this point to actually do a definitive podcast on those chapters. And, you know, I don't know, maybe we'll hit something tomorrow that we can get into with Revelation, because as I've said before, one of my very favorite books in the Bible, but uh, some of the stuff in Revelation is really perplexing, and I want to be careful. And as sort of an aside, I can say that preachers, writers, and teachers who have a very confident and detailed and dogmatic belief about precisely what each part of Revelation is teaching, that always kind of scares me a little bit. Maybe they just really are way more clever than I am, but uh, sometimes I feel fear their confidence is really more like overconfidence. Revelation requires quite a bit of humility in order to handle it properly, or you could just be a wuss like me and skip the chapter. Well, we all know what circumcision is, right? If you don't know, then pause the podcast for just a moment and ask your mom or dad. Well, okay, I'm sort of kidding. But just in case you don't know, circumcision is the removal of part of the tip of the male sex organ. And now that I think about it, I promise that I will endeavor to never use that phrase on the podcast ever, ever again. Anyway, that's what circumcision is. And it was the sign that God gave to Abraham for all males in Israel to do in order to demonstrate that they were children of God's promise and covenant with Abraham. Knowing what circumcision is makes the command in Deuteronomy 10 to have circumcised hearts a little perplexing at first. Is God telling us to cut off a little piece of the tip of our hearts? Well, let's read the passage and find out. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. The Lord said to me at the time, Cut two stone tablets like the first ones and come to me on the mountain and make a wooden ark. I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets you broke, and you are to place them in the ark. Pause. I know when I say ark, you're probably thinking of a Bodhi thing, but remember back to our episode on Genesis 6. An ark isn't so much a Bodhi thing, it's more of a containery thing. So, verse 3. So I made an ark of acacia wood, cut two stone tablets like the first ones, and climbed the mountain with the two tablets in my hand. Then on the day of the assembly, the Lord wrote on the tablets what had been written previously, the Ten Commandments that he had spoken to you on the mountain from the fire. The Lord gave them to me, and I went back down the mountain and placed the tablets in the ark I had made, and they remained there as the Lord commanded me. The Israelites traveled from Biroth Bene Jakan to Mazarah. Aaron died and was buried there, and Eleazar, his son, became priest in his place. They traveled from there to Gudgoda, and from Gudgoda to Jodbatha, a land flowing with streams. 
At that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, to stand before the Lord to serve him, and to pronounce blessings in his name as it is today. For this reason, Levi does not have a portion or inheritance like his brothers. The Lord is his inheritance, as the Lord your God told him. I stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights like the first time. The Lord also listened to me on this occasion. He agreed not to annihilate you. Then the Lord said to me, Get up, continue your journey ahead of the people, so that they may enter and possess the land I swore to give their ancestors. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you except to fear the Lord your God by walking in all his ways, to love him, and to worship the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? Keep the Lord's commands and statutes I am giving you today for your own good. The heavens, indeed the highest heavens, belong to the Lord your God, as does the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord had his heart set on your ancestors and loved them. He chose their descendants after them. He chose you out of all the peoples as it is today. Therefore, circumcise your hearts and don't be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and awe-inspiring God, showing no partiality and taking no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the resident alien, giving him food and clothing. You are also to love the resident alien since you were resident aliens in the land of Egypt. You are to fear the Lord your God and worship him. Remain faithful to him and take oaths in his name. He is your praise and he is your God who has done for you these great and awe-inspiring works your eyes have seen. Your ancestors went down to Egypt, 70 people in all, And now the Lord your God has made you numerous like the stars of the sky. Okay, good news. I did not see anything in Deuteronomy 10 that indicated that we have to cut off pieces of our hearts in order to please God. At least not physically. So, if we don't have to literally or physically slice off pieces of our heart, that's not circumcision of the heart. What in the world is going on there? Well, I'm glad you asked. We can get great insight to this question from Paul in Romans chapter 2, verse 27 through 29, where Paul says, A man who is physically uncircumcised but who keeps the law will judge you who are a lawbreaker in spite of having the letter of the law and circumcision. For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, and true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person who is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, by the Spirit, not the letter. That person's praise is not from people, but from God. And then we can further, as we're thinking about that and considering that what Moses is talking about here in Deuteronomy 10 is not about a physical circumcision, but a spiritual one, uh, we can go to our friend John Piper to further elucidate this answer for us. And this is what Piper says. How does Paul explain and defend Romans 2, 28 through 29? What makes these two verses so remarkable is that they are given as the explanation of how Gentiles, like you and me, Become true Jews by keeping the requirements of the law and fulfilling the law. Verse 26 says that an uncircumcised Gentile will be regarded as truly circumcised if he keeps the law. And verse 27 says that the uncircumcised Gentile will judge transgressors of the law if he fulfills the law. Then comes the explanation for how such law-keeping or law-fulfilling makes a person a Jew. His He answers, Paul does, verses 28 and 29. He is not a Jew who is one outwardly, 
nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. This is amazing, says Piper. The reason it's amazing is that what Paul is trying to show is why law-keeping, law-fulfilling makes one a true Jew, and his answer is all about internal change, not external activity. He says, in essence, that law-keeping or law-fulfilling makes you a true Jew because it's not mainly an external thing, but an internal thing. It has to do mainly with the sense of the heart and not the seeing of the letter. It has to do mainly with the praise that comes from God in secret, not the praise of man in public. See Matthew 6, 4, 6, 6, and 6, 18. This is what the law is really about. Otherwise, the argument doesn't work. And the argument says, Gentile, you can be truly circumcised to God and belong to him as a true Jew if you fulfill the law. Really, says the Gentile, how so? And Paul answers, because being truly circumcised and being a true Jew is a matter of the heart and happens by the Spirit. Now, that answer only makes sense if fulfilling the law means experiencing this heart change by the Spirit and then living in sync with that inner change. So the point is that a person is a true Jew, a true part of God's redeemed people, if he fulfills the law, that is, if his heart is circumcised by the Spirit to love God. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 6 promised, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart, huh? and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. That's what Paul is talking about here, and you don't have to be a natural born Jew, he says, for it to happen to you. But it wasn't happening for many Jews, and it was happening for some Gentiles. Why? Well, let me try a picture to see if I can make this plain for the children, and maybe the adults will get it too, says Piper. At the top of the picture is God. You can't see God, so we will just write the word G-O-D. At the bottom of the picture, there is a heart, our heart. In the middle, between God and us, there is the law. Picture a book, the Bible. Now, the ultimate aim of the law is to bring our heart and God together in a personal relationship of love and trust and obedience, not just an acquaintance like you might have with the store clerk or the mailman, but a deep and personal love relationship and fellowship. But this was not happening for the very people of the book. Most of the Jews were reading the law and learning the law and summing it up in lists of regulations and doing most of them. And in all of this, Paul said they were transgressing the law and their circumcision was useless and didn't help them at all. Why? Because something is missing from the picture. What's missing? Tell me on the basis of verse 29 alone. He is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. What is missing, says Piper, is the Spirit. How shall we draw the Spirit? He's invisible, so let's use arrows. Draw an arrow from the law in the middle down to the heart. The Spirit takes the law and writes it on the heart, according to Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-three and Ezekiel eleven nineteen so that we love it and it becomes part of us rather than being merely an external pressure from the outside. Then draw another arrow from the heart up through the law to God. The Spirit not only takes the law through our eyes into our hearts, it also takes us through the law into God. And that's the ultimate goal of the law, a personal relationship of love with the living God through His Word. Without the Spirit, we either reject the law of God out of hand 
or we change it into something we can manage. And in either case, we lose and the law condemns us. You can become a transgressor of the law by rejecting it or by trying to keep it in your own strength. Paul calls the law minus the spirit letter. And he says in another place, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. 2 Corinthians 3, 6. So let's put two summary equations in the corner of our picture, says Piper. Law minus spirit equals number one, external religious ritual like circumcision. And number two, the need for the praise of man to keep you going. And number three, death, because the law becomes mere letter and that kills. Now, law plus the spirit equals one, internal circumcision of the heart. Two, satisfaction in the praise of God, even if no one approves you. Three, life, because the spirit unites us to God in love. Now, what's the point of all of this? The main point I want you to get this morning is this. Seek and cherish the work of the spirit of God in your life to make you a true Jew. Our salvation hangs on this, the work of the Spirit. Circumcising our heart, number one, to love the Lord, according to Deuteronomy 36. Number two, writing the law of God on our heart, Jeremiah 31 through the 33. Um, and number three, freeing us from our need for the praise of men, Romans 2, 29. All of this is what Christ obtained for us when he shed his blood to seal the new covenant. So, what is circumcision of the heart? It is the removal of of things in us that are unpleasing to God, and it is a work of God. And in doing so, it is A, a sign that demonstrates that we are a child of God, and B, it is an excision or a cutting away of the flesh of our heart so that we can more fully obey God. And the good news is, according to Paul, it's a work of the Spirit. It's not a work of uh, real surgery. It's not a work of our own power. According to Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, it is something that God does. So let us be people of circumcised heart uh, that we might uh, demonstrate, show evidence with our lives that we are the people of God and that we might um, love him wholeheartedly because he has done divine spiritual surgery on us for our benefit and for his glory. And let's continue reading. Psalm chapter 94, verse 1. Lord, God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine. Rise up, judge of the earth. Repay the proud what they deserve. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked celebrate? They pour out arrogant words. All the evildoers boast. Lord, they crush your people. They oppress your heritage. They kill the widow and the resident alien and murder the fatherless. They say, the Lord doesn't see it. The God of Jacob doesn't pay attention Pay attention, you stupid people. Fools, when will you be wise? Can the one who shaped the ear not hear? The one who formed the eye not see? The one who instructs nations? The one who teaches mankind knowledge? Does he not discipline? The Lord knows the thoughts of mankind. They are futile. Lord, how happy is anyone you discipline and teach from your law to give him relief from troubled times until a pit is dug for the wicked. The Lord will not leave his people or abandon his heritage, for the administration of justice will again be righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who stands up for me against the wicked? Who takes a stand for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my helper, I would soon rest in the silence of death. If I say my foot is slipping, your faithful love will support me, Lord. When I am filled with cares, your comfort brings me joy. Can a corrupt throne be your ally, a throne that makes evil laws? They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord is my refuge. 
My God is the rock of my protection. He will pay them back for their sins and destroy them for their evil. The Lord, our God, will destroy them. Isaiah 38, verse 1. In those days Hezekiah became terminally ill. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, came and said to him, This is what the Lord says, Set your house in order, for you are about to die. You will not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. He said, Please, Lord, remember how I have walked before you faithfully and wholeheartedly and have done what pleases you. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord God of your ancestor David says. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Look, I am going to add 15 years to your life, and I will rescue you in this city from the grasp of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city. This is the sign to you from the Lord that he will do you what he has promised. I am going to make the sun's shadow that goes down on the stairway of Ahaz go back by ten steps. So the sun's shadow went back the ten steps it had descended. A poem by King Hezekiah of Judah after he had been sick and had recovered from his illness. I said in the prime of my life, I must go to the gates of Sheol. I am deprived of the rest of my years. I said I will never see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I will not look on humanity any longer with the inhabitants of what is passing away. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. I have rolled up my life like a weaver. He cuts me off from the loom. By nightfall you make an end of me. I thought until the morning he will break all my bones like a lion. By nightfall you will make an end of me. I chirp like a swallow or a crane. I moan like a dove. My eyes grow weak looking upward. Lord, I am oppressed. Support me. What can I say? He has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I walk along slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. Lord, by such things people live, and in every one of them my spirit finds life. You have restored me to health and let me live. Indeed, it was for my own well-being that I had such intense bitterness. But your Lord has delivered me from the pit of destruction, For you have thrown all my sins behind your back. For Sheol cannot thank you. Death cannot praise you. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. The living, only the living can thank you as I do today. A father will make your faithfulness known to his children. The Lord is ready to save me. We will play stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. Now Isaiah had said, Let them take a lump of pressed figs and apply it to his infected skin so that he may recover. And Hezekiah had asked, What is the sign that I will go up to the Lord's temple? Revelation chapter 8 verse 1 When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand in the presence of God. Seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel with a golden incense burner came and stood at the altar. He was given a large amount of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up in the presence of God from the angel's hand. The angel took the incense burner, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it to the earth. There were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet and hail and fire mixed with blood were hurled to the earth. So a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain ablaze with fire was hurled into the sea. 
So a third of the sea became blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from heaven. It fell on a third of the rivers and springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood. So many of the people died from the waters because they had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day was without without light, and also a third of the night. I looked up and heard an eagle flying high overhead, crying out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who live on the earth because of the remaining trumpet blasts that the three angels are about to sound. Amen. Well, friends, may the word of God build you up and point you to Jesus, fill your heart and encourage you. Thanks for listening today. Thanks for telling a friend. Good day to you and Godspeed.